Hello friends, this is Caleb Suko, and you're listening to The Gospel Today. Alright everyone, we are back in the U.S. We've been back since the beginning of June and already had an opportunity to visit three different churches. In fact, it has just been so busy since we've been back, I haven't had much of a chance to catch up with with my podcast and with some of our newsletters and things like that, but I wanted to take this time to check in and share a sermon that I recently preached with you, as well as just give you an update. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about discipleship. This is a sermon that I preached recently in First Baptist of Colville, one of our churches in Northeast Washington. I also preached this sermon a few weeks ago in Eatonville, Washington, and it is about discipleship about why discipleship is so important for the church as really the driving engine of the church. I believe there's two things, evangelism and discipleship. They really go hand in hand. In fact, the way I like to look at it is evangelism is sharing the gospel with unbelievers and discipleship is sharing the gospel with believers. We don't, we don't stop needing the gospel taught to us once we believe. The gospel is what we believe, and it is what we need to grow in. And so, anyway, this sermon is about the example of Paul's discipleship in the book of Acts. So I'll let the sermon speak for itself here in a couple of minutes, but before I do that, I just want to share with you a couple of updates. Like I said, we got back to the United States early June, I think it was June 2nd, and, you know, it just seemed like there was a lot of things going against us to even come back Of course, we couldn't come back last year because of the quarantine. We had planned to come this year, and then we all got COVID early June, or no, sorry, early May. Our family got COVID. I thought I wasn't going to get it. I was so sure that I was immune, but then I was the last one in the family to come down with it, so we had to move our tickets a week later just so that we'd have that two weeks after testing positive to recuperate. Thank God it was it was really not a bad case of COVID. The kids got through it like champs within two or three days. Christina did too. In fact, she was out walking like four or five miles pretty much every day that she had COVID. I probably had it a little bit worse than the rest of the family, but even for me, I was able to finish some remodel in our apartment while I had COVID. Uh, the first half of it, last half of it, last few days, I, I kind of rested, took it easy, but but we all got through it. And but but the result was we had to push our coming to the U.S. date a week back so that we could recover in time. So we went to the airport on June, what was it June first, I think, and they checked some of our luggage and they said, "Oh no, you can't fly today. We're gonna have to cancel your tickets." I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Well, I guess Canada had closed its borders and we were supposed to fly through Canada. So then it just seemed like like everything was against us. This was not going to happen. We tried to change the tickets. We tried to everything we could. They told us it was going to cost us an extra $800 a person, extra $400 a person. But we persisted and said, no, we don't want to pay any more money. And finally, they did find us tickets the following day through Chicago. So we did make it to the States on June 3rd. It was Thursday, June 3rd. Uh, We've visited three churches already since we've been back, just sharing a little bit about our ministry and encouraging them through God's Word. And we're going to continue doing that until until 
August 11th. So if you are in the U.S. and you'd like to see us, please send me a note. And we will mainly be in Washington, but we will also get out to Minnesota June, July 14th through the 19th. And we'll be in the St. Paul area in Minnesota. And we'll be down in Northfield, I believe, for a little bit. So, yeah, we'd love to see you. And send me a note if if you're if if you're going to be around any of those areas uh this coming sunday we're going to be in port orchard or is it bremerton i'm not sure it's christ the rock i think it's port orchard which is right near geek harbor where we're kind of centered while we're here in the states geek harbor washington so we'll be in port orchard at christ the rock community church great supporting church there looking forward to being there and speaking um and so we appreciate your prayers while we're here just for stamina and travel safety as we're traveling every weekend to to another place and and that god would uh see fit to um, help us raise a little support that we need for the ministry to continue to go on and in fact if you're interested in that um, you can send me a note or or go to our website sukofamily.org and i think there's a button there that sends you to our mission for support and and if you already support us we thank you so much for that so, uh, oh, another prayer request too. I would I wanted to ask you to pray for Pastor Roma and Pastor Yuri. Both of them are guys that I work with closely. Both of them do a lot of teaching with our Center for, for Evangelism Discipleship. And both of them have some pretty serious health injuries. Yuri had a wound to his leg and he's diabetic and it's not been healing. And so he's been going to the hospital every day to get that dressed. Pray that Yuri's leg would heal. And then also Pastor Roma, or Roman, he fell a couple weeks ago and broke his hip. In fact, he was supposed to be preaching in my church in Ukraine that Sunday. He called me up on Thursday and said, man, I was I was on the um, scooter playing around with my kids, and I started going down this hill, and it was slippery, and I fell, broke my hip. I'm in the hospital. i got to have surgery done. And, and that's kind of an uncommon thing for somebody. I think he's about 40 years old, real pretty fit, um, and... Um, but anyway, he broke his hip and had to have pretty major surgery to get that fixed. So pray for my pastor friends, Roman and Yuri. And I would also ask that you pray for the situation in Ukraine. Uh, there are some tensions, it seems like, recently in the news coming up with Russia. I won't go into those right now, but I know that it's especially difficult for our partners in eastern Ukraine and the Russian-controlled zone. So I want to just ask you to continue to pray for those people there. All right, friends, let's uh, let's let's uh, go ahead and get into this sermon. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, whatever, just go to sukofamily.org slash ask, and you can send me a note, give me a call there, whatever. I'd love to hear from you. But this is a sermon, again, that I preached just recently in uh, Colville, Washington, called Bring Back Discipleship. Or discipleship. Otherwise, just get rid of it because it really doesn't matter as far as the church goes. So I want to talk with you about discipleship this morning. And please understand that discipleship and evangelism are connected. And we can never really have one without the other. But as I think about the church today, and not only the church in America, but the church around the world, if the church, the contemporary church, were a ship, what kind of ship would it be? It would be a cruise ship. 
It will be a cruise ship with luxurious staterooms and guest services and fun activities and something to meet your every whim and your every desire. It would be magnificent and it would be attractive. It would be tall and long and wide and have lights on it. And yet there would be something missing in it. You see, the truth is that when people go on cruises, and a lot of people haven't gone on cruises in the last year or so, right? But when people do go on cruises, why do they go on cruises? They go on cruises because they see the activities and the entertainment and the food that will be provided for them as well as maybe the ports of call. But when people go on cruises, how many think, I wonder what kind of engine is in that ship? Now, there might be a few of you strange people out there who think about that, who really like ships, but I can guarantee you 99% of people never think about the engine. They want to know what the stateroom is like, what the accommodations are like, what the guest services are like, what the food is like. They want to know what their experience will be. Not thinking that the most important thing on that ship is the engine, the engine room, and those people keeping that engine running. Because I don't care what kind of restaurants it has when you get out in the middle of the sea and there's a storm, you're going to want a good engine. You're going to want a powerful engine. You're going to want an engine that will steam you through that storm and to the other side and to your destination. Unfortunately, I think that is a sad representation of many churches today. They are cruise ship-esque in their emphasis. They emphasize all the outward aspects of being Christian and looking Christian and singing songs and all those kinds of things, which I'm not saying don't have their place because they do have their place. But where's the engine? What's keeping it going? And I would like to say to you that the engine is evangelism and discipleship in the church. It is what gets us from point A to point B, from where we shouldn't be to where we should be. And we can have all the fancy stuff that's okay, it's not against the Bible, but if we don't have an engine, we're not going anywhere. We're just sitting in port, we're just playing around, we're not doing what God called us to do. And we're not getting where we need to go. So we need to talk about this engine. And I want to focus on the discipleship aspect here this morning. And I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. Because here we see a prime example of the work of the gospel and the work of discipleship by Paul in the local church for a period of a number of years. And I think it is instructive and helpful as we think about our own lives and we think about how we are or we aren't involved in discipleship and how we ought to be involved in discipleship. So Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, I know it's a little bit of a long passage, but it's God's word and it's important. From Miletus, Paul sent the to... Ephesus for the elders of the church when they arrived he said to them you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day 
I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life not worth life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after me. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus said to himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Amen? So this text gives us a living example of Paul and what his discipleship looked like and his evangelism, quite frankly, in the church in Ephesus. We see that it's important to have evangelism it is, and discipleship, and it is vital. Yet Paul also warns, and we see the negative side, what happens when you don't have effective discipleship? Or what happens when they start to teach false things in the church? And he warns about wolves that would come in. And what we know is that in the church, that without biblical, faithful, and prolonged discipleship, the church will sooner or later be like a ship that enters a fog and doesn't know where to go. And eventually, when we don't have faithful discipleship and teaching in the church, we lose our way doctrinally. And when we lose our way doctrinally, everything changes. And you know one of the first things that goes out of the window is evangelism. You see, we have to have strong teaching in order to keep evangelism alive. And what happens is 
Sooner or later, the, the sermon no longer becomes the, the main focus and the teaching of God's Word be, no longer becomes the main focus and we get all kinds of elements of entertainment into the church and then personal va- discipleship vanishes out of the church and people stop growing. Then there's, of course, like I said, the withdrawal of public evangelism. Private evangelism has gone long before that. And then you have compromise on core doctrinal issues. It's a path that many churches have gone down. And we can predict it. We know it will happen if you don't have that engine of discipleship and evangelism in the church. It will happen. That church is going to get into trouble sooner or later. Or it's just going to disappear. So it's important that we don't ignore this vital ministry of the church. In fact, Paul warned Timothy, who was later a pastor there in, in, uh, in Ephesus, and he says in 1 Timothy 1, 3, and 6, he says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. What were these myths and endless genealogies? This was like, you know, this was the the interesting stuff. This was the fad stuff. It wasn't core Bible teaching. It wasn't discipleship. And it wasn't evangelism. They were getting off track. They were losing their way. He says such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these things and have turned to meaningless talk. And in fact, we know who that was because he tells us a little bit later in the chapter, right? And this is, by the way, this is uh, like 1 Timothy is sort of like commentary on this section in Acts because this is about the church in Ephesus. So, so we can see a little bit more about what happened here. But look a little bit later, and he says, uh, verse 19, 1 Timothy 1, verse 19, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Some of them, Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This is serious stuff. This isn't just sort of like, you know, well, you could try it this way or try it that way. This is serious. He's, I handed them over to Satan. They lost the gospel. They lost evangelism. They lost discipleship. And their church was shipwrecked. You know, here's the thing. When you lose discipleship out of the church, true Bible teaching, you will eventually lose the morals in the church. Because those are connected. The way we live and the things we teach and what we believe are connected. They should be connected. If they're not connected, they need to be connected, right? And what happens is if you have a church that begins to compromise in morals and go one direction or another, eventually they will also compromise in doctrine so that their doctrine will match their morals. And if they compromise in doctrine and they think, oh, it's no big deal, look, everyone's still good, eventually they will compromise in their morals. And so it is a, a dangerous thing that we really need to keep track of as we minister in our churches. And so... As we look at this, we see that biblical discipleship is really a combination of teaching and exampling the behavior. Biblical discipleship is much more than just giving you 
instruction, just passing on information. And Paul was an example to these people. So let's look at his example here. Uh, starting in verse 18, uh, going back to Acts chapter 20, verse 18, he says, When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came to, came to the province of Asia. Friends, biblical discipleship requires personal presence. We have lived through the quarantine and we realize that is no way to live. We have lived through, we tried to do church, and we realize it's a joke to do church online. We realize that we need to be in people's presence. What does Paul say here? He says, I, you know how I lived the whole time, right? He was with them. They knew how he lived. He says, I was with you. That is so vital for discipleship. We must be with the people. We must be where they can see how we live. And if you want to disciple someone, you can get together with them once a week. That would be great. You can find some other opportunity to spend time with them besides that meeting. Or you could try to bring them into your home. That's a little scary thought, isn't it? But guess what? You will have either a greater potential for discipleship because they will see how you live on a daily basis or you will have a worse attempt, uh, uh, chance at discipleship because they will see how you live on a daily basis. <laughs> so get your life right. And then be with people. And allow them to see God's grace. But, you know, none of us are perfect, really, are we? And... One of the problems that we have with online Christianity today is it has become easier to present ourselves as perfect. And it has become easier for us to think that that pastor over there in that mega church is perfect. And I'm going to listen to his sermons because, you know, my pastor's kind of, eh, well, he's got some problems. I'm speaking generally here. But I want to tell you, First Baptist of Colville, Pastor Dennis is the best preacher for this church. Amen. He's the best preacher for this church because he's sitting right there. <laughs> and he's not here only this Sunday. He'll be here next Sunday, right? You will, won't you? Okay, you're not going to leave after this, are you? And he's been here for a while, and you know him. And you can ask him a question. And he can give you an honest answer. Amen. And he can ask you a question. And I hope you'll give him an honest answer. <laughs> and you probably know that he's not completely perfect yet. But there's grace. And there's grace for him and there's grace for you. But that's because of togetherness. And I think it's vital it's vital for discipleship and it's vital for evangelism because we've become so good at hiding behind screens and we only put out what we want other people to know. And if the gospel is going to be effective in our life, we have to start being honest with ourselves and with other people about ourselves. 
And we have to have that sacrifice and take that chance and that risk of actually being with someone. Because that makes a big difference. And we see it in Paul's life here. Paul said that he publicly preached to them and from house to house in verse 20. And I find that wonderful. So he didn't just have this public persona. He went from house to house and he was with people and he cared for them and he loved them and he saw how they lived and he taught them individually as well. And it's also important. And then, of course, we know that he had the smaller circle of the elders that he invited to come and meet him in the port there that he talked to individually as well. You know, discipleship is, is really about being with people and teaching them as you are with them. So decide, the second thing I want to say here is that biblical discipleship requires teaching. I know that sounds very basic, right? But we have to get back to these basics because we have a tendency to get distracted by all the other things and all the other activities that we're doing. Like I said earlier, if what you're doing is not related to evangelism or discipleship, it's really not necessary. And so biblical discipleship requires teaching. Now, we do different things in our church. We have a Russian club. Is that a core ministry of the church? No. Okay, I don't suggest you do a Russian club here. It's probably not going to be effective. Sometimes we'll do a game night. Sometimes we'll we, we take them on a trip to a park. And we do those. Those are not core ministries of the church. Why do we do them? We do them because these are opportunities for us to be with those people and then also to teach those people. And so we incorporate those core things with other things that are not necessarily core, but do help us to reach those goals. But teaching is a requirement. So if we just do the trips and the game nights and all that kind of stuff, and we don't do teaching, that's a problem. Okay? That's a problem. But it's amazing to me as you look at this section of Scripture how much Paul talks about teaching. He says in verse 20, he said, I didn't hesitate to preach to you. I taught publicly. I taught house to house. He says in verse 21 that he declared repentance. I mean, this is very gospel evangelistic focused. He talks about repentance. In verse 27, he says, I proclaim to you the whole will of God. I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? He didn't just ignore you know like whole sections of the bible he was in the word with them verse 31 he says i never stopped warning you and we see that emphasis in paul's ministry of his discipleship and his evangelism there is a core aspect of teaching we must convey these truths from god's word or we're not doing it right so we must teach and we must protect with our teaching, protect from wolves, protect from false teaching. And we must be solid in our doctrine if we're going to do that. So we must study as well. We must know what we're teaching. We're not just teaching just kind of my opinion about thing, right? We must be solid and we must teach. So the third thing that we see here, and that we see that biblical discipleship requires consistency. 
Again, verse 18 says, From the first day, the whole time, for three years, day and night. You know the pastor is somebody that's, he's on duty all the time, isn't he? Day and night. We clearly see here how much Paul devoted himself to the consistent, regular, persistent ministry of evangelism and discipleship. It wasn't just a side thing for him. Consistency in the word and consistency in teaching is vital. We, unfortunately, live in a culture where we just expect things instantaneously. Oh, give me that quick fix. Give me that McDonald's Christianity. Drive through church where I can just go in and, you know, get my fast doctrine, my fast worship, and be done with it for the week. Friends, we need some consistency. We need some persistence. We need some regularity in our discipleship, in our study, if it's going to be effective. And of course, that brings me to the next point here, and that is that biblical discipleship requires hard work. I mean, sorry, I can't avoid that one. It does. <laughs> Verse 9, he says, working for the Lord. He's talking about day and night. I mean, Paul was a worker. He did not give up. And it's so important that we have the ability to work over a prolonged period of time. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the trend in media today is shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. How long is a TikTok? Who knows? How long? I know some of you know this. How long? No, it's not two minutes. That's eternity. <laughs> Come on. 15 seconds. Yeah, I didn't hear you. Sorry. It's 15 seconds. Okay, and I watch kids watch TikTok, and they can't even watch something for 15 seconds. They're like, next, next, next. But what I'm saying is that we've gotten used to just being entertained and we have to understand that discipleship is hard work. It's working with people. It's being on call day and night. It's being ready to share with them God's word. It is working when no one sees that you're working. And really, you know, preaching is, is a tip of an iceberg, isn't it? Like, you didn't see me prepare this sermon, did you? You didn't see your pastor prepare his last sermon. He probably did it before Saturday night. I hope. It's just a guess, but I hope. <laughs> and what I'm saying is that we have to have that hard work of preparing ourselves for discipleship. Do you ever think about it when you read your Bible, when you study your Bible, that you are preparing yourself to share that with someone else? That God is preparing you to share that with somebody who doesn't know the gospel or somebody who's growing in the gospel? How are you preparing yourself? Are you putting in that hard work? And then there's the hard work of just being with those people and working with them and sharing with them. And when they have hard times helping them and getting those calls in the middle of the night and we, we have this international church now and so a lot of the people that we work with, they don't speak Russian very well. And so they call us. We got a call recently about one of our girls that she burned herself with boiling water. She didn't know how to call an ambulance. 
She'd burned her arm and her side, so we called the ambulance, and we rushed out there. Went to the hospital with her. I got another call from one of my, my, uh, one of my church members from um, Ghana, and he was really sick and needed to go to the hospital. Also didn't know how to call the ambulance. So we called the ambulance. I went out there, and I rode in the ambulance with him. I went to the hospital with him. I sat there with him. And, you know, that's part of discipleship too. And sometimes, like, I'd rather sit at home but I'm not going to very effectively disciple this person if I do. There's a lot of hard work involved in making disciples. And then we see also here that biblical discipleship requires humility. I like how Paul says this. With great humility. How many people have you told that you did something with great humility? But Paul could say that, and you know why he could say that? Because he was with them day and night for three years. And if he wasn't telling the truth, they'd know. And they'd say, no, Paul, you're not humble. And they said, yeah, that's right, you were humble. And you know how they knew that he was humble? Because he sacrificed for their sake. A lot of humility is just about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice. Discipleship requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice of my ego, of my time, of my money sometimes, of my energy. It requires sacrifice. Humility is the soft quality of the soil of my heart before God, a repentant heart. Do I have that humility You see, the problem is that without humility, then ministry becomes my means of sort of self-promotion, of becoming something or someone great, of becoming great in someone's eyes, of making it look like I did a great job, of making myself a little more popular or even richer or whatever. It becomes, ministry becomes about me. But it's never about me. It's about God, it's about Christ, and it's about that person that I'm ministering to. Humility is important. Without humility, the word itself will not penetrate my own heart. See, when I disciple, it's not about, hey, listen, let me show you how to do it. It's about, hey, listen, I had that problem too. Let me show you how God helped. Did you catch the difference? There is a difference there. Without humility, I do not see how this teaching touches me before I use it to help someone else. Without humility, my attempts at discipleship will eventually be rejected. Nobody wants to be helped by an arrogant, self-seeking person. So it's so important that we have this humility. Look at what Paul says to Timothy, the pastor there in Ephesus, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and in quarrels without, about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions. That's how discipleship looks when pride people, proud people try to do it. 
So watch yourself. Check yourself. What are my motivations? Why am I getting into this? We need that humility. Discipleship ministry is about investing your life into another with the knowledge that you may never get anything from that person in return. In fact, it's about investing your life into another with the knowledge that you may even get burned by that person because Jesus did, and you might too. And if you're in it long enough, you probably will. And you see, when we make discipleship about ourselves, then that's a real big problem because I invested so much into you and I gave you so much and you gave me nothing in return and you owe it to me. But in humility, we say, listen, I'm investing for the kingdom of God. And so if that person rejects it or they burn me, it's up to God because I invested for his kingdom. And in fact, if that person burns me or rejects me, if I have done that with humility, I grow through that. You see, we also forget about the fact that discipleship isn't just about one person growing. It's always at least about two people growing. And if you are discipling biblically, most likely you will grow more than the person you are discipling without even realizing it. Because if you want to know something better, you teach it, right? You example it. And you will find that discipleship is one of the greatest faith-stretching experiences you've ever had. And I believe that one of the reasons we have so many immature Christians in the church today is because we have so many Christians in the church today that are not involved in discipleship. Go out there. Find somebody. Find somebody that you can help along in their faith. And your faith will be strengthened as a result. Discipleship requires humility because without it, I will not be able to successfully point that person to Christ. I'll be constantly pointing them to me. What did Paul say? As far as I follow Christ, you can take my example. But no further. Discipleship requires humility because without it, Christ's love and character will not shine through me. It's so vital that we have that humility. You know another reason, and, and really everything I'm saying here is true about evangelism as well, but another reason that it requires humility is because when you start working with the lives of people, you realize that you are very much lacking. You are lacking the ability, the power to change that person's life. And I have been in many situations, I think, oh my, what am I going to do with this person? That I realize, wait a minute, I don't have to do anything with them. God's going to do something with them. Or I'm working with someone who is absolutely not a Christian in any shape or form. I think, that person can't get saved because they didn't grow up in a Christian country or even close to the church. I think, wait a minute, the gospel is more powerful than that. It's God's work. And requires humility for us to admit that. That if somebody does get saved because of my evangelism, if somebody grows in their faith because I was discipling with them, that's God's work. Yes, he used you, he used me, but that's God's work, and it takes humility. And there's a final thing that we see here 
And that is that biblical discipleship requires patience. Patience. Verse 19, Paul says, I serve the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. In verse 31, he says, be on your guard. He says, remember for three years, I never stopped warning you. We see there's this patience in Paul, understanding that this is a process not of a week, not of a month, but of years, of years. Patience tells us that there will be bumps in the road in our discipleship. There will be times when we're working with a person and it's like, wow, what happened to them? What, where did they go? What are they doing? But you know, sometimes those are bumps in the roads, in the road, and then God gets a hold of them again. And then we see growth. But it's so important that we have that long-term perspective, that we have that perspective that looks not just a month or two down the road, but a year or three or four or ten. And not just a few years down the road, but looks to eternity. Because that is where we will see the true result of our evangelism and discipleship. And so let's not get discouraged if there's a few bumps in the road. Have patience. Stick in there. Stay with it. Do the job that God has called you to do. Because God is looking long-term, and he wants us to look long-term as well. And there's another really important thing about patience. Is patience is a testimony. Patience is a testimony to the person that you're discipling. Because he messed up, and if he messes up, and I'm like, oh, you know what? Forget you. What kind of testimony of God's grace and love is that? But I say, listen, you messed up, but, you know, let's try this again. If you're willing, let's try this again. And through us, they see God's long-suffering, his patient love, his kindness. And that is a testimony to them as well. We see this quality clearly in Paul, that no matter the conditions around him and no matter how people responded, he always preached the gospel of God. He always preached the kingdom, and he always worked with those people who responded. He had patience, and he was faithful. So as we think about discipleship here this morning, I want you to think about yourself. Because I believe that God has called each of us to be disciplers. That doesn't mean that we will necessarily be preachers. That doesn't mean that we will necessarily teach a Sunday school class. But I do believe that if you are a believer, there is someone you can be discipling. There is someone you can help grow in their faith. And maybe it's just your child. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker, but who is it that you can be discipling? Because if you want your church to move forward, there's got to be more than just Pastor Dennis doing the discipling. We want a powerful engine. We want an engine that's firing on all cylinders, and we're all cylinders in that engine. So let's get to doing the work of evangelism and discipleship. Amen.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us such a powerful example of evangelism as well as discipleship in the Apostle Paul. I thank you that we see his faithfulness, we see his persistence, we see his patience, we see his emphasis on teaching, we see that he did not give up. And I pray that you would help us also to have that outlook as we think about how you can use us in the church to be disciplers, to be those who share the gospel with unbelievers as well as with believers. And I pray that you would strengthen this church here and that there would be more of those who would rise up and say, yes, I would like to disciple others. I would like to help others grow in their faith. I would like to share the gospel with others. And I pray that you would give your blessing to those who put their hand to such a ministry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.